Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. Over the years, um, I have given lessons on a number of things that have nothing whatsoever to do with church and Christianity. Uh, Back in the early 1990s, I met a man who has since then become a very close and dear friend of mine, and he asked me early on in our friendship if I would teach him how to fish. He'd been fishing one time in his life, and I was fishing at that point in my life about three times a week and always had fish in the freezer, so he thought I was good at it and asked me if I would teach him how. I said yes. And in the process, I taught him how to fish, and I gained a new friend. And these days, now, oh man, 25 plus years later, I see him and his son fishing on Facebook, and it makes my heart very happy to know that I had some little hand in the process of of making those father and son memories. I used to coach track and field back in the public school system over in Connell, Washington. Uh, It was kind of an interesting thing getting that job in that. Um, I was actually headed to the town to interview for a a position as an associate pastor in that church. And through a series of misadventures and so forth, we ended up getting there late, late, late. And um, people had been sitting in the church for an hour waiting for us to arrive when we got there. That's no way to begin the uh, introduction or, um, or to preach when people are already tired of being there. No amens right now. That's good. Early the next morning, uh, I was invited to this men's Bible study thing, breakfast at the local restaurant. And as I walked in the doors, having been there less than in town, less than 10 hours, a man walked up to me and offered me a job coaching track at the public high school. I think that my only qualification was I could fog a mirror. I'm pretty sure that was it. I had a pulse and they needed track coach, so he asked me. He'd talked to somebody and said, I heard that you used to uh, run back in college and so forth. And I said, yeah. And, and he said, okay, then, then you've got the job. I said, I don't even know if I have the church job yet or if I'm moving here yet. He said, well, if you do, please join us. And I did. And it was fantastic. And we racked up tons of championships and school records and state records over the course of my six seasons there. I had tons and tons of fun. I'll never get over being a track coach because of it. Uh, As it turns out, I know how to make people run fast and I somewhat enjoy watching people suffer, and those two things together will end up making you a pretty good track coach. So, yeah. I've also taught first-year guitar to a number of students. I've given guitar lessons. I am now officially retired from giving guitar lessons, so don't get any ideas. But it turns out I'm not nearly as as good a guitar teacher as I was a track coach because while I've taught a number of students first-year guitar, it has taken almost all of them two years to get through it. And so I think that's probably a teacher problem since it's the consistent uh, showing of all of my students. As we begin 2018, we're going to turn our attention to learning how to pray. Now, I know when I say that, a bunch of you might be thinking, look, I've been a Christian for 70 years. I don't know how to pray. And there are probably some of you who are saying, yeah, but I've been a Christian 70 years, and it's like I don't know how to pray. Let me just ask a question. You don't have to to raise your hands. We're not looking for any sort of of measured response here. But for for those of you who who 
have any kind of relationship with God? Is there any area of your life in which you feel less equipped, less effective, less fulfilled than prayer life? I have struggled with that for years and years and years. I would like to be able to tell you that I am a spiritual master when it comes to prayer, but I am not. I, I sat in this seat uh, one year ago today. It was, it was on January 1st, actually, a year ago. And I told you that uh, a handful of things were my goals for the coming year. And the, one of them would be that I would pray more than I would read the Scripture. Because that part of my devotional life that is the daily reading of Scripture, I've had that kind of nailed down now for a decade or so of my life where that's just, it's like breathing and like eating to me. I've got to have a little bit of time spent in God's Word every day. And so I wake up early in the morning and I go and make one cup of coffee. I sit down with the Scriptures and I read. And I'm supposed to read and pray, but honestly, over the years, it's been mostly reading and very little praying. And so as I approached a new year, a year ago, January 1st, a year ago, I thought, "Uh, okay, Cliff, you've read the Bible a lot of times. Maybe it's time that you shrink that part of your devotional life to make room for some real prayer. And for the first four months of last year, that went really well, I thought. And then honestly, I don't know what happened. I kept reading the Bible, but praying suddenly became something akin to chewing sawdust. I'll ask for hands now. Has anybody ever experienced that, where it's something you ought to do, but it doesn't go down easy? And I hit one of those spells, and I knew that if I shrank my Bible reading and then had this withered prayer life, some bad things were going to happen to me. And so I went back to what I knew, and I read Scripture, and I read more of it, and the Lord and I would sit in one another's presence, and I chewed through some prayers. And then there were some days where it was just easy conversation, but I'm just being honest with you when I tell you that my New Year's resolution last year, that I would spend more time praying than I did reading the scriptures, I failed at it, okay? Um, I failed at it four months in, but I failed at it. The good news is there's a God who's faithful and a God who loves me and a God who's relatively certain that I'm not going to uh, be able to accomplish everything I set my mind to anyway. And so you know what he did? He met me faithfully in the reading of the scriptures and in my withered, shrunken prayers. All praise and glory and honor belong to him. As I faced 2018, however, I realized that there is something in my life that began to change a year ago, but I didn't get all the way there. And that I wasn't going to get there by just saying, well, I guess I'm just not good at praying. I'll be one of those pastors who's good at reading the Bible and, and uh, really bad at praying. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, are there pastors who are really good at reading the Bible and bad at praying? Yeah, I think you had one last year. But I don't want to be that guy as time goes forward because I really have come to understand that relationship with God uh, 
there's only so much of it that can come from reading this book. And there's only so much that can come from pouring out your life in service to others, though that's important. There's a certain amount of it that comes one way and one way only, and it's by having ongoing, at-length conversations with God. You guys know having at-length conversations is not a problem for me. I talk and talk and talk and talk. So why is it so hard for me to have an at-length conversation with God? I don't know, but it's going to change. And so I'm asking you to take a journey with me at the beginning of this year. I asked you to do so uh, at the at the onset of fall last year. I wanted to learn more about God's Holy Spirit, who he is, how he functions, and what what relationship we can have with him. And so I decided that I would study the Bible and anywhere that word Holy Spirit, Spirit of God, Spirit of the Lord would show up. I was going to read it. I was going to study it. And we spent three, four months together. And I'm telling you that that changed my life dramatically. And when it came to prayer, here's what that Holy Spirit study did. It gave me hope because I found out that on the days that I just couldn't pray, there was a Holy Spirit who was interceding for me. And that gave me hope. And it also stirred up in me a hunger and thirst for a real, real kind of relationship with God that features easy, ongoing, lengthy conversations with him. And I want it so badly that I decided this year, as I get started on whatever else it is that God has me do this year, my personal undertaking year number two in a row, is going to be that I am going to learn how to pray in a way that actually constitutes deep, intimate, soulish relationship with God. Now listen, I've given fishing lessons, I've given guitar lessons, and I've given uh, track lessons, and I'm not going to give prayer lessons. And here's why. It's because I'm afraid that if I try to reduce this to uh, some skill that I can teach you, you'll adopt it like a skill. Good, now I know how to pray. I also know how to, you know, cook cornbread and um, change a tire. And I don't think that it's, that it's anything like that. I don't think that prayer really is primarily supposed to be a skill set. It's not supposed to be, be a, a tool that, that we then use to change the world dramatically. I mean, I think prayer may do that. I just don't think that it's its primary purpose. As I've turned my attention to the scriptures already this year, what I've come to understand is that the whole purpose of prayer is just that God wants to talk with us. Just God wants to talk with us. He wants to get to know us. And prayer is the vehicle that will get us there. And so I'm going to ask you if you instead of taking prayer lessons from me, if you would go with me to the feet of Jesus and ask him, will you please teach me how to pray? You know, we wouldn't be the first people who asked him that. Uh, I'm going to read a passage of scripture to you in just a moment from Luke chapter 11. If you want to turn your attention there, turn your Bibles there. Luke chapter 11 there are a group of people who said to him, would you please teach us how to pray? 
And he did. And as I read this passage, and, and, and as I'll explain to you as we go through it today and in the weeks and months to come, I believe that Jesus took those folks up on their request for prayer lessons because it was his deepest desire that those of us who follow him could have the same kind of relationship with God the Father as Jesus himself had. Now, feel the weight of that. I'm going to say it again because it's big and it's a bold claim. I believe that in teaching his followers how to pray, Jesus had one goal in mind. It was that we would end up with the same kind of relationship with God the Father as he himself, Jesus himself, had. And so he said, I'm going to go for it. Listen close. Turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 11. And let's ask the Lord... Pray with me, Lord, would you teach us to pray? I don't want to learn a bunch of prayers to recite. I don't want to learn a bunch of proper language so it sounds like I'm praying. I want to know how to talk to you and how to hear from you clearly, consistently, daily. And yes, at some level, I want it easy. Not that I'm not willing to work at our relationship. I just want to know that every time I come to you, my heart's going to pour out and so is yours. Do you want that, Lord? Because if you do, why don't you teach me how to pray? Luke chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Luke was a medical doctor. He didn't know Jesus personally. But sometime after the death of Jesus and the establishment of the early church, Luke, who was a medical doctor and a a very intelligent person, we can tell by his use of grammar and so forth, he decided that he was going to investigate this whole Jesus thing and then write a detailed and orderly account of the life and teachings of Jesus so that he could send it to this Greek friend of his named Theophilus. He wrote a second book in that same interest. It's also in the Bible. It's titled The Acts of the Apostles apostles, both of them addressed from Luke to his Greek friend, Theophilus. This is Luke who writes these words. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, and as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, May your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. Then, teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit. I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door's locked for the night. My family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, 
though we won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And so I tell you, keep on asking, and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you'll find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Now, you fathers, if your children ask you for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Uh, if you are, are new to the Christian faith or... Or, or just kind of checking it out, don't, don't necessarily consider yourself a Christian yet, there, there's probably some insider information that we should share with you this morning. This passage of Scripture is very familiar to most people who consider themselves followers of Jesus. And in particular, that one section where Jesus was praying, and we refer to it as the Lord's Prayer, and for some reason, for centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries on end, Christians have not only familiarized themselves with the teachings of this passage, but we also have found these words from Jesus, this prayer, to be... Uh, this, this anchor for us, this homing beacon for us. And so it's the case that most Christians, not just in the United States and not just in the 21st century, have memorized the words of this prayer. And by the way, one of Jesus' other biographers also printed a, 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 or recorded a version of this prayer, and we kind of we push them together. We kind of harmonize those two versions of the prayer. And then typically, like the church often does, we have our own things to say about it, so we add it a little bit to the end. But this thing that we have memorized as the Lord's Prayer is, is a widespread practice among the people of God. And we have found it to be a unifying thing among us, where Christians have admittedly historically argued about too many things that don't matter enough to split up relationships, we have agreed about this one thing, that we want Jesus to teach us how to have the same kind of relationship with the Father as he had. And so we will take a look at how it is that he spoke to the Father, and we will teach ourselves to do the same. And we got a good start in that direction. The problem is most of us just stopped at memorizing what Jesus said. And so you've been to a number of funerals, maybe some weddings or other Christian gatherings uh, where you have heard Christians all of a sudden start reciting this thing, the Lord's Prayer. Maybe at, at a graduation or a, or a baccalaureate service back in the day, you took your seat next to somebody that you've lived next to in town all of your life, and you had no inclination, no understanding or awareness that that person was a Christian. But as soon as somebody up front said, Our Father, they just fell in right with you and started praying. Had that experience before? Yeah, there's something unifying that we Christians find about this one prayer that Jesus prayed. And so it keeps drawing us back to it 
for instruction. And so we're going to spend a lot of time over the next few weeks right here in Luke chapter 11. And we're going to listen as Jesus teaches us how to pray. Now, over the process of these weeks, I would strongly encourage you, if you haven't done so already, memorize the Lord's Prayer. And I would say this, if um, just Google it, Lord's Prayer, and you can read uh, versions of it until the Lord himself returns, okay? Millions and millions and millions of hits you'll get out there. But can I encourage just this one thing? I mean, I've got a camera sitting in front of me. We've got lighting and um, microphones and computers streaming, all of this stuff. We do lots of things that are modern and contemporary and current. Could I encourage you to find that version of the Lord's Prayer that is in the old King James kind of English, complete with these, thys, and thous? And here's why. It's because that's how most of the people in the English-speaking world have memorized it over the years. And do you think that you, who are just learning it now, might be able to join us among the ancients as we are attempting to join you in the current expression of the faith? And that way we'll be able to pray it together. That's what I'm saying. That way we'll be able to pray it together. So find that, that version that says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed. Make sure you say Ed on the end, hallowed. Could you find that version of it and maybe over the next few weeks commit it to memory? Now, in, in so doing, in so asking you to do that, I understand that there's an inherent risk. And the risk will be that you memorize the prayer and then you just say it or recite it. And many of us have done that many, many times. We've gotten to the end of it and went, huh, I don't remember praying the middle part because we just went on autopilot and we just said or recited the prayer. And, and I'm, I'm of the thinking these days, that when we simply say or recite a prayer, we have not prayed. Because prayer is nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else than having a legit conversation with God. If you weren't talking to him, if you weren't listening to him, you weren't praying. You may have been doing something that's recognizably religious and has been titled a prayer, but we were not praying we were not talking with the Lord and listening with him. Over the course of the next few weeks, we'll, we'll begin praying that prayer together at some point in each of the services. Hopefully praying that prayer in each of the services. But I'd encourage you to, uh, to find it, put it on the lock screen in your, on your phone, and, uh, and you can probably learn it that way. What we're hoping to do in memorizing it is that, is that when we leave this place, when we don't have the screens in front of us, that we will still have in our minds and in our hearts a guide that Jesus gave us for knowing how to have an intelligent and intelligible and intimate and deepening conversation with the very complex God of heaven and earth. I think that's how he really intended the Lord's Prayer anyway, was as a guide to a conversation. And if we do that, That'll be great. Now, I want to dive into the passage now and talk to you about specifically the the Lord's Prayer. And I'm not going to get very far today because I, I first want to explain to you the context in which this part of Luke's book uh, finds itself, where we find ourselves as we read it. Uh, I had a, a professor back in seminary who, who told me as we were studying the art of interpreting Scripture instead of just reading the Bible and assigning whatever meaning to it seems wise at the moment. As we learned the discipline of interpreting Scripture, he said, you've got to remember 
that when it comes to interpreting scripture, there are three rules. Context, context, context. Okay? You have to find out what he was talking about beforehand, and you have to find out what he was talking about afterwards in order for you to understand what he's saying where you're reading. Let me just illustrate this to you from your normal everyday life. It's red. What am I talking about? Am I talking about a bull? A ball? Your car? Kathy's sweater? My face when I make public mistakes? You don't know, do you? Because there was no context. I just said, it's red. Unless God reveals it to you. And... Um, He has revealed to us what he was talking about in this passage. You know how he does it? Context, context, context. His Holy Spirit leads us to look and investigate, and we look before it and after it. Now, I'm going to tell you, I forgot what my professor taught me at one point this week. So I was studying the Lord's Prayer. And as I told the the folks who pray for me before the service, um, um, I don't know what my problem was, honestly. I, I... as I told you before, introducing this whole thing, that I want to learn to pray. When I sat down to study this passage this week, I kind of felt a little bit like, what have I done? I'm taking us back to the Lord's Prayer. Probably the most preached and best understood passage of Scripture in the whole Bible. And you guys can do what I do. Take a look at it phrase by phrase and see what that might mean. But as I sat down to what I thought was going to be another one of those sawdust chewing kind of experiences, I'm telling you as as sure as I am sitting here today that I felt the guidance of God's Holy Spirit. He said to me, look at chapter 10. Chapter 11 is where the Lord's Prayer is. He said to me, "Look look at chapter 10. And so I did. We're going to go there in a minute. Chapter 10 all the way through the last, the last story of chapter 10, all the way through chapter 11, verse 13. That's really where we're going to be studying for these next several weeks, okay? It's not just those few verses that we have called the prayer. There's the bookends on the thing, and here's why. It's because I believe, come to believe, that the last story of chapter 10 and the last paragraph of chapter 11, verses 1 through 13, those are the bookends that are saying, that those two things are saying the exact same thing, and they therefore tell us what Jesus was trying to teach us in the prayer, okay? So, we're going to look at chapter 10, uh, those last few verses, in, in just a few moments. But um, know this, that the, that the context is everything here. If you don't get the context, you'll think Jesus was teaching you how to say a prayer. God help us if all we do is learn how to be religious, Amen? Okay. We'll go there in a minute, I promise. But here's the, here's the setting. The disciples have asked Jesus, will you please teach us how to pray? Now, why on earth would they ask him, teach us how to pray? These guys were Jews. They had been brought up in synagogue school. They had been through their bar mitzvah. In order to do that, we know that each one of the young men who became the disciples of Jesus had to learn the first five books of your Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I don't mean learn the names of them. I mean learn the books enough that they could recite all of it. They refer to it as the law, 
okay? It's this much of my Bible. They learned that, and in order to be given manhood in their culture, they had to be able to recite that without error back to the rabbis. By the time Jesus came around, that was required of them. Believe me, these guys knew how to say all of the prayers. One of the prayers that they would recite every single day is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. It was the thing that that centered them every day. Remember, there's not a bunch of gods. There's just one, and he's the God over all, and he's our God. It's an incredible prayer, but it's a prayer that they recited every single day. These guys knew how to say prayers. There were bunches of prayers that Jewish people learned, certain prayers that they prayed at harvest, certain prayers that they prayed at childbirth, certain prayers that they prayed when they went to the temple, certain prayers that they prayed when they went to the local synagogue. These guys knew how to say the prayers. Why would they ask Jesus, teach us how to pray when they already knew how? Got to understand the story a little bit. Two of these guys who were Jesus' 12 original disciples had been disciples of another rabbi before. His name was John. You know him as John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was no ordinary Jew. The the Jews as a people as a whole love the establishment of institutions and of traditions. Those are high, beautiful values to their culture. And John was no ordinary Jew because he was a guy who was inherently suspicious of institutions, even especially of religious institutions and the government. Man, I expected North Idaho to say amen and Eastern Washington to just go along. John the Baptist was no ordinary Jew, and so he was constantly railing against those things, and there had to be something different about the way this guy prayed if he didn't like the institution and its prayers. And it tells us in this passage that John had been teaching his disciples how to pray, apparently some way different than the norm. Two of those disciples ended up with John's blessing, leaving his tribe of disciples and going and becoming disciples of Jesus. These two guys, along with the others, had gone to synagogue and to temple with Jesus. They'd recited all the prayers and heard Jesus doing that, and that was largely the extent of prayer life in ancient Israel. You'll read a handful of prayers in the Old Testament, but for the most part, prayer was a public event that was done together with everybody saying it out loud. And personal private prayer was not a real high value among the culture, and so it wasn't practiced much, and it wasn't taught a lot in synagogue. And yet Jesus, all of the time, was saying, you guys go do something else because I'm going to go do something else. I'm going to go pray. Sometimes he would leave them and not come back until the next day and let it be known that he had been spending all night long in conversation with God. And once in a while, the disciples would get to hear him pray, and they thought, huh, I wonder where he learned that one. Because it doesn't sound like any of the prayers that we learned in synagogue school. In fact, it didn't sound like a prayer that he had learned. It sounded like he was having a conversation with somebody in the room with him, and he kept referring to him as his father, and sometimes as daddy. Now, I know that seems weird to people in the Northwest, but in the culture that I grew up in, and still today across the the rural American South, it is altogether common for even middle-aged folks to refer to their father as daddy, with, with two Ds and a Y, not dad, daddy. Where's your daddy? 
I don't know, Daddy, how you doing today? It's very, very common. It's a term of endearment and expressive of great heartfelt affection. Jesus was a grown man who did not grow up in the South, okay? And the disciples listened to him talking to somebody who they couldn't quite see in the room. He kept referring to him as father and sometimes as daddy. And they knew Jesus wasn't losing it. They knew he wasn't talking to uh, Joseph, who probably had passed away at this point. He wasn't trying to, to channel or make some spirit connection of that kind. It's that he was actually connected with the God of heaven and earth and in, an, in a substantially different kind of way than they were connected to him, though, though they saw themselves, Israel, as the people of God. Jesus was connected to him in a different kind of relationship where he called him father and he called him daddy and he had regular conversation with him, normal kind of talk. And the disciples thought, huh, I wonder if we could learn that. And so they said, one day, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? And unlike me, the guy who said, I'm a little hesitant to give you prayer lessons, Jesus said, sure, I'll sign you up. Let's do it right now. And he said, you talk to him just like I do. Hey, Dad, I need some things. I respect you. I recognize that you are great and wonderful, and I'm thankful for you but I need some things. I need something to eat. I sure wish this world would work right. I sure wish I would live right. I wish you'd get the glory that you deserve. Boy, that sounds simple, doesn't it? But doesn't that sound like something like conversations that you've had with your parents? Hey, I, I heard it in our house this week. There's nothing in the fridge, Mom. There's nothing to eat in this house. That's my kid's version of give us this day our daily bread. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I... Um, they, they don't come running to mom saying, lead us not into temptation. I'm a little worried about that, but yeah. Hmm. Jesus had this, this everyday God experience. He had this, this everyday conversation with, with God that was just like his family with him. So really, here's the deal. You want, you want the point of the message today? Here it is. Prayer is a family conversation. It's family conversation. Sometimes you prepare for conversations. You Parents, you think about what you want to say to the kids. Laura and Noah and I had a fantastic conversation last night about an important thing coming up in his life. And we, we kind of put our wisdom together and thought out loud about how we'd have future conversations about it, how we'd talk to other people about it. And, and, and it was easy, wasn't it, bud? Just... Did you rehearse before you came to talk to mom and me? Twice? Yeah? You want to work to No, you didn't. You just had this idea of, I want to talk to mom and dad about it. So you ran up the stairs, and then we talked about it. Because that's what families do. Yeah. Prayer is a, is a family conversation with God. 
And the reason that I believe that the entire Lord's Prayer is simply trying to help you get that point is because I read chapter 10, the last paragraph, through the, the end of chapter 11, or 11, 13. Now let me show you. Go back to chapter 10, okay? I'm starting with verse 38, and I don't have the words on the screen, so look them up or listen. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. Now, a little uh, a parenthesis here. They had a brother as well. He doesn't get mentioned here because he's not important to this, this story. His name was Lazarus, and he became a close personal friend of Jesus. If you don't know who Lazarus is, Google that. You are in for an afternoon of good reading. Just telling you, it's, it's incredible. But we've got Mary and Martha on the scene here. Her sister Mary, Martha, who welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary, verse 39, sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. So she came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, You're worried and upset about all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Turn to chapter 11 and skip down to verse 11. You fathers, if your children ask you for a fish, do you give them a snake? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give? And the other biographer said good things. Luke mentions a specific good thing. How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So we've got the end of chapter 10, which is Jesus in a family's home, sitting down, eating a meal, to get, you know, getting ready for this evening meal because we know it's not ready yet because Martha is behind schedule, really worried about it, and everything's got to be just right. And, and Mary's just hanging out with Jesus. Anything that he says, she's tuned in, and she is content for the meal to either be served late or cold, doesn't matter, as long as she gets to spend some time with Jesus. She's, the schedule, done, over with, no lo- dismissed, no longer a matter of concern to her. We'll get to it when we get to it, because right now, we've got a chance to be with Jesus and have this family kind of conversation. Then some disciples say, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? And he teaches them a lesson. Then he teaches them a parable, and we're going to get to that in a few weeks, but just know this, between now and then, don't get alarmed when you read the parable, because in the parable, there's a jerk who is kind of one of the main characters. And the point of this story is God's not a jerk. He's not like the jerk in the story. And, and the reason that we're able to determine that from the reading is because Jesus follows up. He's coming to, to the, the zenith, the, the big ta-da of his teaching about prayer, and it's this. Fathers know how to give good things to their kids, don't they? Wink, wink, nod, nod, end of the story. See, this whole section on prayer begins in verse 10 with Jesus saying, 
don't do all that other stuff. Don't worry about it. Talk to me. Dinner, all the things that might busy you, they'll keep. There's something that's more important. There's something that's more valuable. There's something that's more nourishing. There's something that's more satisfying. Have a conversation with me. And at the end of the teaching on prayer, he says, it's a family relationship. Fathers give things to their kids. If those are the bookends, you know what you put between bookends? Books, yeah. Yeah, so if, if these two things, a, a family relationship and the priority of talking and having the relationship and, and, and a family relationship in which fathers and children get along and, and fathers bless their children, if, if those are the bookends, what's between them? It's all the same stuff, folks. He, he opened and closed the teaching on prayer the same way. He took the same speech class I did in junior high school where my speech teacher said, in the introduction, tell them what you're going to tell them. And in the body, tell them. And in the conclusion, tell them what you told them. And Jesus apparently had the same speech teacher or prayer teacher because that's how he went about teaching his first disciples, and everybody who's ever read this book, that there's one lesson and one lesson only to learn about prayer. God wants you to talk with him so that you can have the same kind of relationship with him that Jesus did. Not a cheap knockoff, not a watered-down version, the same kind of relationship with God the Father as Jesus himself had and has to this day. kind where you sometimes slip from the formal into the affectionate, from father to dad, maybe daddy. Can we talk about Mary and Martha for just a minute before I close? Martha wasn't a bad gal. She was not a bad gal, yeah. All the organized people in the world, yeah, yeah. She wasn't, a bad, she wasn't a bad person. She was a distracted person, right? It was important that there be a meal. It just wasn't as important as something else. So make sure that you put the big things in first, you know, one of the lessons of life, right? And here's why. Because Martha was providing for the family. You get that? She's providing a meal for the family. She's providing something that they need. But get this, and probably all the dads in the room especially need to get this. Providing only goes so far in communicating love. Providing only goes so far in communicating love. In order to understand more than that, you're going to have to tell them that you love them and tell them why you love them. And, and tell them again how much you love them, fathers. Because providing can only go so far in communicating love. It gets us started, but the rest of the way, the rest of that relationship, it comes from communicating with words. With words. And so... Jesus said to Martha, I know you'll provide a meal. It'll be great. I've eaten here before. I'm thankful for that. Come sit down. 
next, next to Mary here. Let's talk. Folks, listen. There's a God. Sometimes it feels like he's out there somewhere, and sometimes it feels like he's not out there at all. A bunch of that is, is based on just, I think, our broken radar, how good and acute our systems are at sensing his presence at any given point in time. But there's a God who's out there, not in the sense of way out there, but a God who's there. And he wants nothing more than to close the gap between us and him. And so he comes our way in search of a good old sit-down talk. And the only prayer lesson you need is to come and sit down too. Typically, we get to the end of the service, and I'll ask you to stand, and um, because that's a, a formal way of recognizing, right, the, uh, an important person. So when the judge walks in the room, somebody says, "All rise," and people rise. I was at the changing of the guard at uh, Arlington National Cemetery this this summer. All rise, and everybody rose. It's this ceremonial thing that we do today. Don't rise. Because I think it's very important that for a little while we push the ceremony aside lest we lapse back into our mere religious saying of prayers. Communion teams are going to come. Worship teams are going to come. They're going to serve you where you sit. Just stay seated. Take... Take the bread and, and the cup. And, and in a moment, we'll, we'll do the, the ceremony part. But between now and that time, why don't you take the sight and smell of what you'll have in your hands and the sound that the worship team will put in your ears, and why don't you let those create an environment in which you settle down and decide, decide, to feel at home with God today. Why don't you listen? See if he says something. Or if you have something to say, why don't you just say it to him without the these, thous, and arts and hallowids. Why don't you just have a family conversation? This is what he very much wants to have with us today.